part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We thank you. Father, as we open your word, Father, today we uh, understand that we are not getting man's truth. Father, sometimes it's going to conflict with what we feel in our heart and our mind. And yet, Father, we live in a culture that says, okay, this heart and this mind that we have, when we have conflict, to kind of go with feelings or to go with our own thoughts. So, Father, today, help us to know that we come to foundational, supreme, godly truth. Even when it kind of pushes, Father, some of the extents of our lives past where we feel comfortable, where we feel challenged, and, Father, maybe even feel uh, defeated at times, or that we're incapable of being able to, to do this. So, Father, today, we are in such need of your spirit to come and to to fill us, to teach us, to instruct us. And Father, I pray this morning that that it would do just that, Father. Your word would so shape in our lives and help transform these hearts and minds so that, Father, we would be able to go forward in this call that you've placed upon us to be transformed and to be made in the image more and more and more to look like your son. Father, help us to do that even this day in this delicate, kind of uh, dangerous subject of forgiveness and reconciliation. We love you. We thank you. We praise you. We pray all this in the hope of Christ. Amen. Open your Bibles to Philemon chapter 1. There's only one chapter, so if you get Philemon chapter 1, you pretty much are there. It's a small book. We've been in it for a couple weeks. And uh, as I said before, this morning, uh, I'm, we're going to open up a can of worms. Anybody know where that term came from, can of worms, by the way? Fishermen. Kind of interesting sometimes. Fishermen. Yeah, fishermen. Uh, the first time that we really see that and, and kind of out there is in the 1950s, before the 1950s. Uh, they were using other terms kind of maybe to express the same thing, but uh, this open up a can of worms in the 50s, you didn't always have this plastic container or something like that. You'd actually buy a can of worms. You'd open up that can of worms. And while you're trying to fish, the worms are trying to, you know, get out of that can. And so the, the phrase came to kind of play into that you're attempting to do one thing, and in the process you're kind of complicating matters. Well, that may seem like what we're doing this morning. When we begin to talk about forgiveness, a little bit more about that in reconciliation. That as we open this up this morning, because we're not able to complete it, and I'm not able at the end to say, okay, here's four steps that you can take and reconciling your lives to uh, ones that maybe you have offense against. We're going to get to that next week. We're going to be very practical and put this into play. But folks, in anything that we do, we need to have a scriptural basis for it. Uh, Last week at the marriage weekend, we spent Friday night looking at the power of the gospel. And then from there, we went and looked at communication. We looked at forgiveness. We looked at all kinds of very practical things. But we had to lay that foundation, the gospel, first. Because if not, here's what we do. We challenge ourselves just to become better people. And God has never called you just to be a better person. What he's called you to do is by the filling of God's Spirit in you, the very Holy Spirit of God, is to become more and more like Christ. Not just a better person. Not just acing the test of morality, but actually reflecting the thought, the mind, and the heart of Christ. And nowhere, guys, nowhere is that going to be more challenged than in this area of forgiveness. In fact, theologians, many theologians over time said, okay, well, you know, to you, what is the 
the, the epitome of what it looks like to, to be like Christ. And they said, the area of forgiveness. They said, that's going to be the most challenging. It's going to be the one that we can kind of justify why we feel this way, why we don't want to let go, or why we really don't want to forgive. And what we're going to see in the scripture this morning as we've been in Philemon is that Paul, there, there's actually three parties in this story, if you uh, haven't been here in the last couple of weeks. And Paul is the, the apostle. He's the authority there. He's the guy who's kind of like the pastor. And uh, he easily could just come in there and say, okay, you do this and you do this. And then he would have to kind of be obedient because he's the apostle. And yet that's not the approach that he takes. So he's kind of the peacemaker. Then we have Philemon. Philemon was a very rich guy. He um, did very well in life. We don't know what his vocation was, but he did very well. And then he came to know Jesus Christ. Paul was actually able to introduce him to the treasure of Christ. And it so began to transform Philemon's life that he began to act and think differently as Christians should do. In fact, Philemon was one that even started having a life group, a pretty big life group in his home. And he was kind of the start of, of a church. Then we have Onesimus. Onesimus was a servant. Uh, you'd probably actually be a little bit more correct uh, to say a slave. That, that was just part of the, the social system of that day, the Roman system. And Onesimus was a slave of Philemon. And somewhere along the lines, Onesimus decided that he wanted to run away. And in doing so, more than likely, we're not, we're not given this specific details, but he probably took something. Let's just say some cash. Let's say some jewelry or something like that. That he takes this. And so there's kind of two offenses. Number one, he's running away from, you know, the employment that he has there. And again, in this day and time, we could argue, well, slavery is wrong. Okay, again, try to put yourself in that culture, in a Roman culture. And this is not a story so much about the morality of slavery. We know what the scripture and what we say about that. Okay, so you're going to have to kind of distance yourself from the current mindset to a Roman mindset when that really was part of the economic system. And so the morality here wasn't so much slavery, it's that he runs away, which was an offense, punishable sometimes even to the point of death, and that he steals something in the process. And he runs a thousand miles away to Rome thinking that he can get away from this. And, and that's a whole nother sermon. <laughs> when you're trying to start a new life, <laughs> you have to kind of make good with the old life first. There's a lot of lessons in this short little letter. But what we begin to see is these three players kind of play out. Onesimus runs away, goes to Rome, and he must have done something bad there because Paul, it says in the early verses, meets him in prison. And I don't know that Onesimus just all of a sudden said, you know, I want to start a prison ministry. And I just want to go visit prisoners and, and kind of try to cheer them up. We don't see this. He meets Paul in prison Paul now introduces him to the treasure of Christ. Onesimus becomes a Christian. He begins to serve Paul. And in his service to Paul, he's just a helper to Paul. And uh, Paul very much, they become buddies. And maybe one day they're sitting around talking and say, oh, well, tell me the rest of the story. Maybe Paul says, you know, what's your past? Onesimus begins to tell him. I mean, he could have hidden that. But obviously he begins to tell him the truth, which is a sign of repentance. Remember that word repentance. Because when we look at forgiveness and we're looking at reconciliation, repentance is a really big player there. And from everything that we can tell, Onesimus really has had uh, repentance with us coming to know Christ. And so he tells Paul the rest of the story. Yeah, you know, I was a slave back there and 
this guy Philemon, he was, you know, he never did any harm to me. I, and Paul goes, Philemon? You know Philemon? Philemon that's back, lives on Oak Street? Yeah, that Philemon. And all of a sudden, by the providence, by the miracle of God, they realize this connection. And that's the, kind of the basis of this letter. So we've kind of caught each other uh, up a little bit there. And uh, Paul asked Onesimus to go back, which would have been hard. But he really asked Philemon to do something even harder. He said, I'm going to send your former slave that stole from you. I'm going to send him back. And, and I can't make you do anything, but I am going to kind of call you to do something. I, I want you to forgive him. Can you imagine how hard it is in your own life to forgive? And we begin to see that, that when somebody's offended you, how hard it is. I mean, out of the three players, you know, that are here, the three people that are in there, who do you most often identify with? Most of us, if we're honest, Philemon. We think of those who have offended us, that we've been offended in some way. Most of the time, we really don't come as well. You know, I'm kind of much more like a Nessimus, really. But spiritually speaking, guys, spiritually speaking, we really are Onesimus in this story. And yet when it comes to the reality of our hurts and our feelings and our thoughts, a lot of us instantly begin to think of, well, you know, I, I my dad ran off when, he was 12, when I was 12 years old, or, or this happened, or that happened, or, you know, I was married and, and this guy cheated on me, and, and, you know, he ended up doing all these things. Or maybe you've been a, a victim of... Uh, some kind of abuse in your life, sexual abuse, verbal abuse, psychological abuse. And so it's easy for us to kind of take on this identity of the offended and to think about those people who have offended us in some way. They've broken our spirit. They've broken the law. They've tried to break us. And so as we take on that persona, that mindset, we can identify with what Paul is asking Philemon here. The whole point of this letter, though, is, uh, is not forgiveness, guys. It is certainly a lot of it, but Paul doesn't stop there. Forgiveness is a big point, but it's not the whole point. When we get to the latter part of the verses, and that's what we're going to cover today, when we get into that second section, we see that Paul wants Philemon to actually go past forgiveness and get into reconciliation. Beyond forgiveness and get into the matter of reconciliation. Look again at the text. Uh, Philemon, verses 12 through 14. It's Paul writing to Philemon. He says, I'm sending him back to you, talking about Onesimus, sending my very heart. In other words, hey, we've developed a friendship here. I'm not just sending a guy back. This is a friend. This is somebody I've invested in. Verse 13. I would have been glad to keep him here with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. He said, I I can kind of demand because I'm an apostle. And I can say, hey, the Bible says, and you better do this. He says, you know, I want to send him back because I really want you to own this. Remember a couple weeks ago we were talking about when we were kids, maybe if you had a brother or sister especially, and you kind of fought, and your mom made you make up, go over there and give your sister a kiss or a hug. And and you didn't own that. 
The devil's the farthest thing from your heart and your mind. You did it because you knew that you'd be in further trouble if you weren't obedient to your parent. And so they told you to do that, but very few times did tears come to your eyes and go, you know, I just feel all kind of contrition because of what I did to you. And, and, you know, and when I put on my show instead of your show and then I hid the remote, you know, I repent of that. Most of us were not there. Most of us, the only reason that we made that step toward forgiveness or reconciliation is because we were compelled to. We were really not given too many options except for further punishment not to. Paul doesn't take that approach, guys. He said, look, I could force you to do it. I could compel you to do it. I could even make you feel guilty. Have you ever used, the, has anybody ever used the word of God to make somebody feel guilty? You know, the, the old joke about Jewish mothers. Jewish mothers, you know, have this kind of a thing. Okay, they can make you really feel guilty using God's word and God's rules and, and laws. And, and sometimes, I mean, I grew up in the church kind of like that, you know, that your conformity to the rules and to the law is because you really felt bad when you didn't. And that's really not the highest call that God has placed on our lives. And, and so Paul takes this very high road and he says, Philemon, I want you to know that I could compel you to do it. I could even make you do it but I want you to do it of your own accord. And then look what happens. He sends Onesimus back to Philemon so that they can be made right. But here's the million-dollar question for this morning. What does it mean to make things right? Biblically speaking, when there is something that has become an offense between two people, And now there's separation of these two people. What is the real meaning to make things right? Is it for Onesimus to pay for his crime? If he took $1,000, that he pays that $1,000 back, that he goes back and says, okay, I will serve you for the rest of my life. Well, that was kind of just making, in one way, Philemon whole again. And so somebody would say, yes, that should be right. Is it for Philemon to forgive and forget? Does that make everything right? Are we as Christians simply called to say, okay, no matter what the situation is, no matter how somebody hurts you, how many times they hurt you, that you are just to forgive and forget. We are called and commanded to forgive. But hold this this forgetting part. What is the ultimate end that Paul is looking for? And as you have difficulty in your life and your relationships, what is the ultimate end? What is the answer to that million-dollar question? How do we really make things right? Look at verses 15 and 16. And we begin to see a picture from the gospel of what Paul calls Philemon and Onesimus to engage in. Verse 15 and 16. For this perhaps is why he parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. Now, do you grasp what's happening right there? He didn't say, okay, Onesimus, to make things right, you go back, you know, you're supposed to be in the employment or the, you know, you, in, in, to this person, you're indentured to this person, you go back and you serve that person time and time again. Give back the thousand dollar, the jewelry, whatever it is. is. Is that what he's calling for? See, so oftentimes that's what we're looking for when somebody has offended us. You hurt me? Let's be real honest here, guys. 
let's take the, the, the Sunday morning niceness out and let's just be real. Is there not a measure within your mind and your heart that wants them to hurt too? You hurt me, I want you to hurt. You cause me pain, I want to see you wiggle in a little bit of pain yourself. That is not the God side of us, very much as the human side of us. And it's there, guys. For most of us, unless you have just matured tremendously in Christ, there's at least there, uh, some of that there in the beginning stages. Doesn't mean we have to act upon it. Doesn't mean that we have to bless it. And it certainly doesn't mean that God blesses it. But there's a part of us that when we've been hurt, that we just want that other person to hurt. That somehow, if they hurt like we hurt, that somehow everything's going to be a little bit better. That's not what Paul's calling for here. Not what God calls us. He doesn't seem to be putting the emphasis so much in those two verses right there on the broken law as he does the broken relationship. And that's the difference. You and I, when we get hurt, we kind of put it on the broken law. You did this, you did this, you did this, and here's what will be remedy. When you give me back whatever it is. And so we see the, the remedy as correcting the broken law, not so much always the broken relationship. Are, are you tracking with me? Does that make sense? Because if we don't get that, what's going to happen is we're just going to look at, at this from a, a very far distant kind of theoretical thing. And I promise you this is real life. I promise you, there's a part of this. I don't care how good your marriage is, there's going to be a part of your marriage. There's going to be a part of this, that unless you are just two of the most godly people that I have ever met, that somewhere in your family, in your dealings with family, that you're going to have to deal with some of these things. And what is the ultimate end here? That Aunt Susie say that she's for, you know, sorry and that she comes and makes amends? Or this broken relationship that we've had now for 13 years with Aunt Susie that happened on March 14th of 2000-whatever at that place when she hurt me and she had on that red dress and she said these words and, and that relationship has been forever severed since. Now let me give you a, a gospel foundation for this, guys. Could God have sent Christ to forgive you of your sins without reconciling the relationship? Could he have sent just a redeemer for sins and so we wouldn't suffer the wrath of hell and separation, but yet we're never restored into relationship? If God wanted to, could he have done that? Did he do that? No. He didn't just look at the law that was broken, folks. He looked at the relationship that was broken. When he sent my Redeemer, he didn't just say, okay, Bobby, now your sins are forgiven. You can go on and kind of live however you want to. No, he said, no, we were in relationship. I created you for relationship. I, holy God, created you, Bobby, for relationship with me that was broken because of your sin, but I sent a Savior. And that Savior forgave your sins. He did forgive those sins, but he also reconciled you back into a right relationship. We are, if you're a Christian this morning, you are the recipient of a reconciled relationship, not just forgiveness. And that's the calling upon our lives. But please understand, Paul does not neglect that a law has been broken. He's not just oblivious to that. Look what it says in verse 18. If he, that is Onesimus, has wronged you at all or owes you anything, 
I mean, you, you feel like you've been done wrong? He sold $1,000. He sold this piece of jewelry, whatever. He said, if, if that's him, charge it to my account. If you feel like in order for this first step of reconciliation, of forgiveness to happen, that you have to be made whole, then, then put it on my account. So Paul is not ignoring that there's damage there. I mean, is there anything more frustrating? Listen, you know, in real life, uh, you, you go and um, you're at a restaurant. This is in the notes, so just kind of understand I'm making it up as I go, okay? <laughs> and you're at a restaurant, and they serve you, you know, a very bad meal. I mean, it is just, you ordered the, you know, the $20 steak. This is an anniversary dinner or something. And it comes out, and it is a piece of leather. I mean, it's just awful. And so you, you kind of bring that to the, the uh, you know, the person's attention, and uh, the manager comes over and wants to do nothing, does not acknowledge in any way, does not want to make you make, be made whole on that. What happens in your heart and your mind? Number one, you're not going back. Are you just, you just blow it off and say, you know, it was just our 50th anniversary, our 25th anniversary. It's only a $20 steak. It's not like his... No. You feel like there's a wrong done. Now, what if that manager comes over and apologizes and says, my goodness, you know, I don't know what happened back in the kitchen, but we take full responsibility. I'm going to bring you a new steak, but also any of the desserts, not just the dessert, any desserts you want. Plus, here's a card for next time that you're out and about and you want to come in. Now, how do you feel then? Yeah. Because not only do you feel like you've been made whole, but you're going, man, he just kind of went beyond the norm. Not just to get me up level, he went over to kind of reestablish any kind of, a, you know, whatever relationship you have with the steakhouse. Here's the danger, though, of just wanting to be made whole. What if there's no earthly possibility for somebody making you whole? What if they've already passed? What if they live 10,000 miles away? What if, what if, you know, there's just no way that you can be made whole? Then you created a vacuum for the whole rest of your life, guys, that, that cannot be filled. And so God is not minimizing when there's hurt in your life that laws have been broken. When there's been infidelity in a marriage, God does not ignore that and say, well, no big deal. Guys will be guys. Gals will be gals. God takes it very seriously, guys. But he doesn't just look at the broken law. He looks at the broken relationship. And so when Christ comes, it's not just to counteract the broken law. It's to restore relationship. It's hard enough to get a couple in that situation just to forgive one another. And a lot of times what we want to do is, okay, I forgive you, but I am not going to forget. And I promise you when that happens, guys, when, when, when there's a forgiveness and yet you kind of make your stand, I will not forget, there's never going to be full reconciliation. I totally get that. I mean, I really understand that feeling. And yet at the same time, the gospel calls us to do that. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they were separated from a holy God by their sin. How did God ultimately fix that? And I'm asking for you to, to respond. Adam and Eve sin. They break the relationship. They, they sin against God. Now there's a wall of sin between a holy God and a sinful man. How did God fix that? 
Okay, Jesus Christ, is, he sends us a Savior to forgive us that. What was God's ultimate end in sending Christ? To fix the broken law or to restore the relationship? Do you see where we're going with that? Yes, in, in one way you go, well, okay, I never thought about it that way, or maybe you have. But that's where the scripture takes us to a place that our heart and our mind really doesn't want to go. Because we're still waiting for payment. We're really waiting for this hurt to be remedied. Or for that person to hurt as much as we were hurting. That's our human nature. But here's what the scripture says. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 through 11. But God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Now, when it talks about being saved from the wrath of God, is that the relationship or is that the law? That's the law. So God's not ignoring the law. And that our offenses, our sins, have actually broken this and established a break in, a, in, in you know, the holiness of God. And so he says, okay, Christ did that. He saved us from the wrath of God. But he doesn't stop there. Verse 10 and 11. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, what's the next words? Much more. Much more. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? What's the first three words of verse 11? Much more. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Are you tracking with that? I mean, do you follow that? He says, look, I'm not ignoring the law. When there's an offense against the Holy God, there is the wrath of God. And Christ came to satisfy the wrath of God. But he doesn't stop there. He says, much more. More than that, understand that that wasn't the final page. That what he did is reestablish the relationship that he had with you. It wasn't just forgiveness, but it was reconciliation. And we see that theme throughout the New Testament. He says, look, he didn't just come and kind of get this horizontal relationship, but he got the vertical, and from that vertical relationship of what Christ has done, then it changes the horizontal relationship. That's part of the transformation that God brings to us. And it begins to transform every relationship that you and I should have. Paul, uh, in this next text, let me set it up so that you really kind of understand the context. Paul is writing to a church in Ephesus. And in Ephesus, there's two groups of people. There's a Jewish group that have had, if you want to say religion for a long time, and a Gentile group. The Jewish people have been following God, even though now Christ is a brand new concept to them, first century Christianity, and so they're following as new Christians, uh, but they've been following God for a long time. Well, there's Gentiles, and they haven't been following anything but their own hearts, their own lusts, their own minds. And so all of a sudden you have this church with Jewish people that are kind of the traditional people and kind of more of the religious people, and you have these other people just off the street. I mean, that's what they would have said. And they did not think that favorably of one another, or mostly the Jews to the Gentiles people. Now look what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 13 and following. Paul writing to both the Jews and the Gentiles in this church now. 
that are all Christians. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off. He's really talking. He's kind of aiming that to the Gentiles, even though the Jewish people were just as far off. You who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing the law of the commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of two. It's a lot to take in and a lot to digest. Let me give you the Reader's Digest version. He said, guys, before you were Jews and Greeks, before you were Gentiles and Jew, now you're Christians. You don't need any other descriptors. Now, now you're one in Christ. And Paul let that go. He said, before you were masters and slaves, now you're one in Christ. Before you were female and male, now you're one in Christ. Before you were this and that, now you're one in Christ. Paul had every expectation because he knew God had provided every expectation that through the work of Christ that the two really would now, you know, those, all those divisions would be gone and that it wasn't just the forgiveness of the sin, but it was a reconciliation into a right relationship. So Paul says, okay, if you're going to live like Christ, here's the way that you do this. I realize this is a huge step in many of our lives. Many of you are still, I'm still struggling with, you know, just forgiving somebody who's really hurt me. And now you're actually asking me the word of God is, is calling me to, to go reconcile with this person? I understand this. The word of God commands us to forgive. It calls us to reconcile. It doesn't command us to reconcile. And, and there's some good reasons for that. Number one, what if that person has already passed? There, there's no... You know, you can't reconcile. You can still have that heart of reconciliation. Let me give you one more scripture. kind of shows you the, the text proof of what we're doing. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time came, had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. He's not ignoring the law. He says, look, when Christ came... He answered that. He fulfilled the law. Okay? Verse 6. Now, because you are sons, God sent his spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so that you're no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. He said, okay, not only do you have forgiveness of sin, but you have a right relationship with the Holy God. Your sons and your daughters, you can cry out, Abba, Father. I'm being quite repetitive because, guys, if you don't get this, then all that we're going to do next week as we look at the practical means of steps toward reconciliation is I'm just asking you to be a better person. I want you to understand that God commands forgiveness and he calls and compels us toward reconciliation. Romans 12, 18. Uh, verse 19, I'll throw that in there too. Uh, I probably quoted this in our house quite a bit to our girls in different times. I can remember a situation. My daughter was at odds with somebody, and uh, I was a pastor. So, well, you know, the Word of God says, Romans 12:18. probably you have used that more in practical counseling than any other verse in the Bible. 
in, in all these years. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. And the different verses say it different way. There's three parts to that. Number one, he says, if possible. The person may have died. Maybe you don't have contact with the person. Maybe it truly is impossible for you to have total reconciliation. But then the second part, as far as it depends on you, as much as it depends on you, in other words, a lot of times we make this condition, okay, I will restore relationship, I will forgive if they do this. All cause, God calls us and says, look, if it is possible, as much as it depends on you, you go 100% in the way of what you're capable of doing. That means you open the door, you walk to, to their house. If, it, if, you're, if you have the ability to do it, you do what you're capable of. For what end? To live peacefully with other people. And then look at verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I still like it in the King James. And yet, here's the two things that we will find every day, guys, when it comes to forgiveness and especially reconciliation. In forgiveness, we're waiting for justice. And when it comes to reconciliation, we're waiting for a little bit of a vengeance. You know? and, and God basically says, drop both of those, drop both of those. But leave it to God. In the same way that Christ has forgiven you, you go and restore that relationship. Now, folks, next week we're going to hit something really big, and um, that is repentance. Are we to reconcile with somebody, not forgive, we're already commanded to forgive. Are we to reconcile to an unhealthy relationship, an abusive relationship? Uh, And there's all kinds of different abuses. And we will see, and that's why Paul says, if it is possible. Folks, there's some relationships that you're not to be reconciled in. And so what part does repentance of that person, of the offender, play as you go forward? Because I don't want anybody to walk out of here going, okay, man, so so if I was in an abusive relationship, I'd just go back and get abused again? No. The, The Word of God does not call for you to do that. It does call you for to forgive that person. But forgiveness doesn't always end up in reconciliation. And so I promise you, everybody, every one of us have an asterisk in our life of a relationship where God would say, well, you know, you probably wouldn't be wise to reconcile that. But for every one like that, isn't there one that pride, hurt, and everything else is standing in the way, and it really should be reconciled? I mean, it really does need to be reconciled under the gospel. And that because here's the ultimate end. I was sharing this with Andy this morning. So, you know, what's the ultimate end? My feelings, my thoughts, for us to just have peace. No, the ultimate end here, guys, is this. And this is where I want you to marinate for a week. Let this thought marinate in your mind. What end in this relationship would bring the most glory to God? What end would bring the most glory to God? Because I promise you, that's not always going to be, well, that's the one that made me feel the best. That's the one that, you know, just worked out in my mind. Or they paid this back, or I'm waiting for payment, or whatever it is, all these other things that we throw in there. No. The ultimate end of Christ coming was for the glory of God. So that sinful man could not only be forgiven, but reconciled in right relationship with him. 
promise you that there's going to be times, and sometimes it's going to be your marriage, other times it's going to be family members. The more intimate the situation, the more we really need to see the gospel leading us through this so that we don't go by feelings. And so in that intimacy of marriage, in that intimacy of family life, when that offense comes, and somebody is really, really, what would give God the most glory? And a lot of the times, I'm not saying 100% of the times, but a lot of the times, it's that there could be forgiveness, repentance, and restoration of broken relationship. I'll end with this. Um, when I first started pastoring at Shadowbrook, there was a man, he was the pillar of the whole church. He really was. And I made a decision as pastor that I thought was biblical. I still believe that it was biblical. But it offended him because of some personal things. In my first month as a 32-year-old pastor, <laughs> the chairman of the deacons, the, the pillar of the church, leaves the church. Not really good. <laughs> and I was just crushed by it. But a lot of the crushing is that there was a broken relationship there. I apologize, but I did stick my ground because I believed what was done was done biblical. I don't know if it's seven years, eight years, nine years. I don't know how long it took. I, I saw this gentleman from time to time, and he and his wife. At different funerals, different things like that, we would kind of talk. And, and, and finally, he called up one day. He said, can we, can, can we have lunch? Yeah, yeah. As we sat down, he said, will you forgive me? I said, well, man, I forgave you a long time ago. Will you forgive me? I didn't mean to hurt you or anything like that. I was just doing what I thought God very much wanted to do. The forgiveness part had been handled, but there hadn't been reconciliation until that day. And I won't say that, guys. Then we became best of buddies, and we went out every Tuesday and had a hamburger together. No, but from that point on, whenever we saw each other, it was different. Not just because now there was forgiveness, but there was reconciliation. And that brings glory to God, guys. When a marriage is not just forgiven of the offenses, but there's reconciliation, true, biblical, gospel-centered reconciliation, God is glorified. In your families, maybe it's a work-related situation. Maybe it's a, a church-related situation. You just got your feelings hurt. And you're still waiting for that person to come across the pew on one Sunday morning saying, you know, I just want you to forgive me. Folks, that may never happen. But what brings glory to God is when those that were apart now come together, not because that was the heartbeat of their life, not because they thought, ah, time has passed. No, because they said, because of what Christ has done for me, I forgive and I choose to be reconciled in this broken relationship. Let's pray together today. Father, we love you. We thank you. Father, thank you that you just not, did not forgive us in Christ. You did that. Father, you didn't stop there. Everything we point to in this New Testament, Father, it shows that you reconciled us back into a right relationship. You call us son and daughter. And so, Father, as much as we are challenged just to forgive and then leave it like that, Father, will you show us areas of our lives where you want there to be reconciliation? And Father, help us to, to live out this model. Father, I, I can only imagine what was going on in Philemon's mind. Father, there was a part of him that says, okay, this isn't right. This is what I'm owed. 
And yet, Father, his mind was being transformed, his heart was being transformed by this gospel that saved him. And the funny thing is, Father, you don't tell us what happened at the end of this story. We're we're left to wonder, well, did he forgive? Did he restore the relationship? Did they become like brothers? Father, everything in my heart says yes. That the power of the gospel ruled and reigned in that relationship forevermore. Father, will you help us to see it rule and reign in our lives? We love you. We thank you. We thank you that you've already paved that path with the very blood of Christ that we talked about before. And Father, next week as we come back together and we look at practical ways to, 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 to seek out forgiveness, to, to, to show repentance, and to have restoration, Father, will you help us to really... We found it, Father, not on all of these practical things, but, Father, on the truth of what Christ has done for us. Father, we love you. We thank you. And now, Father, we, we just sing this song and reflect upon you this morning as we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.